Welcome back. Welcome. Welcome to season two, episode one of the Guys Telling Stories podcast. Bill? Yes. This is our season premiere. It is. I'm Rich Douglas. I am Bill Easton. And of course, our producer, Sean, is over there. Sean, how you doing? Good. Far away. All right, Sean. Thanks a lot. Well, Bill, it feels good to be back. I'm excited. Look at this. Look at this hookup we have here. We are going to Skype. Oh my gosh, you're so right. I'm actually, uh, I'm a little scared because it is our first long distance uh, episode. Well, yeah, every single one we did in season one was, you know, face to face and we finally figured out the technology. Yep. So we've got an amazing guest today, Tucker Max, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. But before we do, Bill, let's catch the audience up on uh, some uh, cool updates and some things that are happening with us. Well, I bought a bus. Oh, you you bought a bus. What, what do you mean you bought a bus? <laughs> I bought a bus. What do you going to like run a, like uh, a like a school bus? I bought a uh, uh, bus, an actual transit bus, and I'm uh, going to run some brewery tours in the fall. Pick people up at hotels and at colleges and in airports, maybe, and drive them to different breweries, and then bring them back. Sounds like a cool uh, a cool business. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, because I already have the bus. <laughs> okay, so you got a bus, but yeah. the, you got a bus, but the business isn't started yet. That's correct. It'll be in the fall. Oh, all right. So that's new. What's new with you? You know, what's new for me is I'm actually leaving uh, tomorrow. You know, this year driving me. We're, I'm taking a, uh, a little bicycle trip, a bike trip. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to ride from uh, Pittsburgh to Washington, D.C. Right up at the Lincoln Memorial. Oh, yeah. We're going to go to the Lincoln, Lincoln Memorial, the mall. It's going to be a good time. So. Oh, I love the mall. Well, I'm excited about Sears. my bike trip. Yeah. I'm excited about you, Bill. I'm excited about this bus. Well, we gotta, thank you. We're going to have fun with it. We'll hear some more about that. Well, if you're new to the show, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thanks for tuning back in. Uh, we're Guys Telling Stories Podcast, and you can follow us on social media at Guys Telling Stories on Facebook. We're on Twitter at Guys Tell Stories. Uh, what about uh, the Instagram, Bill? It's Guys Telling Stories. It sure is. It sure is. And we are, yes, we are on Snapchat at Guys Tell Stories. Snap code is on our social media. That is some good stuff, actually. Yeah. Our guest today, we posted it there first, and we did some behind-the-scenes videos. So you can definitely check us out there. Cool. All right, so we got some other firsts we want to talk about, Bill. We, we, uh, we got the merch going. Yeah. Yeah, we got some Guys Telling Stories merchandise. You can head to our website, guystellingstories.com, click on merch, and we got some really cool logo t-shirts. Yep, I have a bunch of them. I know you do. You've been ordering them like crazy. Are you giving them away to friends or what uh, are you doing? I'm trying to put them on strangers. <laughs> He's putting them on strangers. Making videos. Well, if you didn't hear our season preview, what Bill's talking about is we're going to do a little fan design contest. So we have the ability to put your artwork, your drawings, your pictures on a guy's telling stories, uh, logo T. So, you know, incorporate our name into the T-shirt somehow. Submit those designs on the website through the form, or you can, you know, email us, and we're going to pick one in the next couple of weeks, and yep. we will literally get your shirt on Amazon. People can order it, and it ships, uh, if you got Prime, in like, what, two days? Yeah, two days. Yeah, right to your house. So, other exciting news, too. So, this is really going to be something uh, we want the fans to help us out with. We, we kind of joined up with uh, Amazon, part of their associates program. I'm though. very happy about this. This is cool. Yeah, now a lot of fans probably aren't familiar with this, but if you head to our website, guystellingstories.com, and uh, click the Amazon button, we get a cut of that transaction. It's free to you. Nothing. Doesn't, 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 you nothing. You're on there anyway. anything. You're going to shop on Amazon anyway. We all do for the small things, the big things. Uh, it's a great site. Mm -hmm. So it's simple. Go to guystellingstories.com, 
Click on the Amazon link. It takes you right to Amazon. There's no nothing else you got to do. Yep. That's it. Just go to our site first. Shop, shop like you normally would. It's completely free. And when you shop, you buy cool things. We get a cut. Amazon sent us a cut. Doesn't cost you a thing. So we're going to mention that. And please remember, especially you know, like you know the moms out there buying the diapers or if you're in charge of your company's uh, you know business ordering, all that paper you got to order or other supplies, uh, uh, you know, definitely hook that up, please. Think Amazon. Think guys telling stories. <laughs> All right, Sean. Thank you. That's a good tagline. Well, Bill, we also have a little new segment we're going to start at the beginning. We are uh, sponsor-free right now. We got some people reaching out to us, and that might change in the future. I hope so. Yeah, me too. But we're going to start a little something we like to call Try at Home. Each week, Bill and I are going to maybe talk about some products we think are pretty cool, and we'll post them on our website, and you can click through the link there. Go buy them. Check them out. We they're going to be cool. unique. Yeah, they're going to be some things that you may or may not want, um, some things that you can buy anywhere, and some things that you can only find on Amazon. Absolutely. Well, try this at home this week. Bill, I'll kick it on over to you. What do you got? I have these LED remote-controlled lit-up cubes, fully rechargeable, waterproof. They come in different sizes, but they're also fun at parties and at weddings and in the pool. Since they're waterproof and indestructible, Okay, so how big are these things? Well, they have different sizes. They have 8-inch cubes, which are, you know, little kids love stacking them and change the colors on them, turn them off, they cry, turn them back on, they're fine, you know, stuff like that. And then they get all the way up to 15-inch, and there's some ovals and balls and ice buckets. We have an ice bucket at home. This is all stuff we have, so I'm not just making this up. No, it is. Uh, Bill got these, uh, I think, last summer, and he mm-hmm. brought them to my other brother's wedding, and everyone started to stand on the cubes, pick up the smaller cubes, spin them around on their head, and we'll post that video on our website. Yeah, it was fun, though. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? You know what I got? I have something that I don't know anybody else in the world that actually has it. Now, I don't mean it's so unique no one else has it. I just mean I don't know anyone else that has it. You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. It is a paron. Excuse me? A padrone. Are you ready? John? It's a padrone. Padrone. <laughs> that sounds right. A padrone is a traditional Spanish communal drinking vessel. It is basically a mixture between like a, like a, a pitcher of wine and a like water canteen. kind of looks like this glass-shaped container that you uh, kind of like funnel the wine into your mouth. You know the genie lamp from Aladdin, right? What's that? The genie lamp from Aladdin. Kind of looks like that, I feel like. It looks like a genie lamp. Okay. (laughs) You know, you rub it, except you don't rub this. The wine comes out. (laughs) Yeah. This is great fun at parties. You pour a little bit of uh, wine in there, about a bottle. You pass it around. Everyone drinks from it. It's going to get all over the place in a good way. It's going to be dripping from people's mouths. You're going to love it. So (laughs) (laughs) you can check out the Perone or Bill's LED light-up cubes available at guystellingstories.com under Try This at Home. Cool. All right, let's get to our guest, Bill. All right. All right. We this have things definitely lighting up. Is that is he calling? No. <laughs> That's not how it works. No. Oh, Bill. I mean, listen, excuse the audio. It's the first time we're trying a long distance guest. We're gonna make it better in the future. But our guest today is Tucker Max. Tucker was nominated by one of the folks that sent us a, a nomination in the off Alex, season. Or, Alex? It, yep, I think it was Alex that uh, nominated him from Chicago. And Tucker is a three time New York Times best selling author. I think he's written five bo- different books. They made a movie about one of his books. Uh, mm-hmm. I hope they serve beer in hell. And since that time, he's kind of retired that genre of, uh, of, of writing and started a new company yep. called Book in a Box. And he's helping people out there who are experts in their field, successful entrepreneurs, educators, businessmen and women, to basically write a book without writing one. 
I'm excited. Yeah, it's kind of a cool product. All right, so let's give him a call and let's talk to Tucker. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Guys Telling Stories podcast. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. And we are thrilled to have an amazing guest today, Tucker Max. Tucker, thanks for doing the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Tucker, where are you right now? I'm in Austin, Texas. Okay, awesome. Yeah, this is one of our first uh, Skype interviews. We have been doing a lot of face-to-face for season one, so we're happy to uh, connect with you. Yeah, definitely, man. Happy to be on. Awesome. What we always like to do is take a guest back to the beginning, you know, a little bit about yourself, you know, titles, accolades, you know, I'm sure tons of people are familiar with you, and then probably tons of people aren't. So, you know, how'd you get your start as an author? Uh, it was blind luck, dude. <laughs> I, I sent, no, seriously, I, I sent emails to my friends. After we all left law school, we all kind of hated our jobs, and we, um, we all kind of competed to do something dumber and then write a funny email about it nice. uh, to our friends. And so that's kind of how I started. Yeah, you know, back in the day before, you know, like everybody had a blog or everyone had a podcast, I can imagine, you know, trying to one-up each other with, uh, you know, the best email or the best story would be pre- a pretty good time. So yeah. all yeah, I no, had to do as a kid was email this stuff? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? but, well, you've got to write it up in a funny way, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. So, you know, like, you know, a young Tucker Max, before he was uh, writing the emails, before he was a best-selling author, you know, did you come from a family of writers or creative people, anything like that? No, no, man. My, my mom was a flight attendant, and my dad uh, owns restaurants in South Florida. Oh, okay. Oh. I, hear, I hear what you're saying. So did you get some free travel out of that, uh, out of mom's deal? Yeah, but it was when I was young, so it kind of sucks. Like, uh, I could have used it a lot more when I got older. But when you're 10, it's like going to Africa or Japan is like you barely even remember it, you know? You're, you can't appreciate it. No, I went to Europe when I was 18, you know, with an exchange trip as like a high schooler. And uh, I think I missed my girlfriend more than I uh, <laughs> appreciated, you know, like. Uh, I miss mo- her too. Yeah, exactly. I don't miss her anymore. But, oh, God. Well, that's, yeah, that's pretty interesting. So, any brothers or sisters? No, only child. Okay, all right. So, you know, a lot of the folks that we talk with, they're uh, they're like generation entrepreneurs, or you know, their their parents brought them up in the business. Was there ever any, uh, I guess, pressure or influence to, uh, I guess, go into the restaurant business? No, uh, actually, my dad fired me from the family business. <laughs> a little. Is there a story behind that? Uh, I mean, how do you get fired from the family business and there not be a story? Of yeah. course, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Basically, after uh, law school, um, I got fired from being a lawyer in three weeks, and so I went to work for my for my dad. And my dad, um, he was like kind of uh, excited to have me, kind of not. And I, I got to to sort of his company, and I realized everyone at the company was a clown. And so, because I was 25 years old and my name was on the door, like it was a family business, I thought, well, I can just you know. Like, I can do what I want. My dad's going to back me. So I basically told all the clowns that I was going to get them all fired and that we were going to blow this business up. Um, <laughs> like, it was going to be amazing, but I had to get rid of them first. And so, of course, being an idiot 25-year-old, I didn't realize that, like, in, in, in politics, like, it doesn't – reality doesn't matter. Being right doesn't matter. What matters is the egos of the, the people involved. And those people were in their jobs because they were really good at massaging my dad's ego, and I was not. And so they went to war with me, and they ended up getting my dad to fire me. Wow. Um, Give yeah, us an I example know. of what, what one of them did. Well, so here's the thing. They, they, 
I gave them just enough ammunition, right? So like when I, I would be like managing a restaurant and it would be super slow and then some girl I was hooking up with would come in and like blow me in the bathroom right and it didn't it wouldn't impact the business at all literally nothing would happen but like the servers would see me and they would go tell whoever and then it was like a big controversy even though there wasn't one customer that was upset at all in fact customers love me so I, I did enough of those things where my dad just got tired of fighting it and he decided to pick you know the people who who assuaged his ego yeah. ahead of his son I gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. So is that when you decided, hey, let's uh, let's let's try my hand at uh, going to law school? No, no, no. Oh, law was school before. was beforehand. Oh wow. I, yeah. yeah. Like my dad was the <laughs> second uh, the second choice after being fired from being a lawyer. Oh man. You know, like when I I had a job where I was selling sneakers from sixteen to like eighteen, and you know, I my job was to get down on like a knee and unlace them and say, "How does that feel?" and check their toe. But somehow I managed to get fired from that job too, and <laughs> it was heartbreaking. Meaning, like I felt a sense of like shame or guilt, like I did something wrong. Like I, I almost like identified with what the job was, and I was good at it. So. I know I was like a young kid feeling like silly, but I mean, how'd you feel after being fired from, from two jobs? Like, I mean, dude, the, those were the two things I trained for. It wasn't like a, a shoe store. I mean, who cares, right? Just go get another job in the mall. You're so right. I went to law school and got fired from being a lawyer. And then I got fired from a restaurant that has my last name on the door. <laughs> <laughs> I felt terrible, dude. Oh, man. Like, I, I, it, was, it was a disaster. And like, that's where the stories came in. So yeah. my, friends, my friends were like, look, man, you're not good at the things that you're trying to be good at. But, but like these emails you're writing are the funniest things that we've ever read. This is what you need to be doing, not, not messing around at something you're not good at. You know, which is uh, like what you went to school for. Have you ever t tried a stand-up routine with this stuff? I've read a little no. bit about you, but I kind of figure, you know, the way you present yourself just now, first time hearing you live, it seems like you, that might be something you're good at because um, you, you sound pretty funny. <laughs> You sound great. No, stand-up is, stand is a whole different monster, man. Like, uh, I feel like, uh, uh, I hate to say it, but I, I, I have too much confidence. Like, I don't hate myself enough to do stand-up comedy. I feel like, like to get up and stay on stage and let people just mutilate you and abuse you like that, you've got to have some issue that, that I, I mean, God bless them, because the best stand-ups are hilarious, but yeah. um, I, don't have that, I don't have that gene in me. Yeah, we've interviewed a few comedians, and it seems like you have to be able to be lonely and sad and then use that to be funny. When you, right. when you take those last couple of steps, I've said it before, those final 10 steps from behind stage to that microphone, that can be a pretty lonely walk that not too many people want to make. Yeah, so, no, uh, speaking in front of a crowd, doing Q&A, that sort of stuff is easy. But stand-up is like a whole different thing. It's not, it, it's a very distinct skill. Like I know a lot of people who were really funny who can't do stand-up comedy, you know? Absolutely. Well, you know, so I'm hearing that, you know, you're, you get, you get fired from the family business. And for me, for you, for anybody, that would be like a time of transition. So, you know, did, uh, did a friend, uh, a buddy, uh, anybody sort of help you through that time? Um, 
you know? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> oh. No, dude, it just sucked. Oh, well, uh, like, uh, I, honestly, man, I, I just stumbled along and I, um, I, 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 I tried to get my, my story, my emails published like as a book. And that was in Oh one or Oh two actually. And that was like kind of before, uh, like it was before MySpace or anything like that. And every publisher and every agent sumer- and I mean, 100% literally summarily rejected me. <laughs> so I didn't know what else to do. And so there was this website called GeoCities that was brand new. I put up my stuff on the internet and um, it blew up. Like, uh, and even early internet blew up. Like it became kind of this big thing. And then MTV filmed me about this documentary about like people who find girls on the internet or something. I don't really know why they interviewed me, but they did. And then that thing got big and then it kind of blew up my site. And then all the publishers came back to me and were like, hey, like, let's do a book with you. And I was like, "The hell with you guys!" Like, <laughs> but then I, I, I ended up actually doing um, a, the book that became Beer and Hell because of that whole thing. Well, well yeah, I mean, it's to, I mean, when you get that first like taste of like success after being rejected and fired, a lot of people might let that go to their head. I'm assuming you did too. What like success or rejection? Not that, well. See, once you had that rejection and you get that taste of success, and these publishers start coming back, like yeah. See, but th- that's not success though. Like just because a pu- like I got a seventy five hundred dollar advance on my first book, so <laughs> right, right. that's not like that's cool. That's better than literally nothing, but it's not a whole lot better than literally nothing. You know, like uh, I was expecting hundreds of thousands of dollars in the world to fall on my feet. And of course, none of that happened. And so like, it was, I, I didn't get arrogant until way later. Like, uh, <laughs> you're you totally mean. right. But my arrogant douchey, douchey stage came like when there was a movie being made about my life, but not when there was a book. Right. Taking that next step right in that second book, was there any sort of like drive to prove somebody wrong? Or did you, for example, you know, like have just a new idea? Like what inspired you to keep going with the writing? Uh, I had more stories to tell. My first yeah. book sold uh, a lot, and so I had more stories. So I wanted to sell more. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's basically it. Yeah. Did you have the? Did you feel like you had to push the envelope and do a little bit more and get a little edgier with with them as it went on, or is it just kind of like I have just have a lot more in, in the bank that I can? It, it, it I was can just write. more in the. It, it was more in the bank. I think maybe the third book was a little bit like um, I wasn't stretching it. The difference between books two and three and one is that number one really did have this kind of raw hunger to it. And two and three weren't fat, so to speak, but they were just like I had enough success that I wasn't um, I, I, I didn't need it as much. You know, it's yeah. sort of like, uh, you know, like the, 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 the kid who comes from the projects and has a breakout season in college and gets drafted and then like, you know, floats a little bit in the league before he gets it together. Right. Uh, because like you've never been, until you've been fat and happy, you don't know how to relax in a way that's not destructive. And I was kind of like that. Yeah. No, that's actually like insightful to like relax in a way that's not destructive. If we want to sort of like transition into, I don't know, the past five, six years, what was one of those steps when you realized like I've had some success, this is post success in the terms of like selling books, maybe making money. But I'm looking for something different, something that's going to be more fulfilling, something that's going to be more relaxing. What, what was that moment for you? 
I don't know if there was a moment, man. It was yeah. more just like you, you know what the the transition for me. Uh, I'm still kind of working through it. Is like the first probably 30 years of my life. I, I think or more 34, 35 years. I was a I was a fighter. Like and I, I thought like a fighter and I acted like a fighter and it was like all about external enemies and winning and those sorts of things and beating other people or beating whatever. And I think what I've learned in the last four or five years is that I don't really have enemies and I don't really have, like there's no true external competition. The competition is really inside, you know, especially like, listen, it's not like I'm a pro MMA fighter, you know, or a (laughs) professional basketball player. When you actually do have an opponent, you know, like I, 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 I was a writer and now I own a company and we have it like we're in a space that we don't really even have competitors. We kind of invented a new space. So the only competitors we have are ourselves. Uh, and, and so it's a very different mindset to go from warrior to builder. You know, a builder, you're just worried about how how well do you build this? Are you, you know, doing it right? Whereas a warrior, you're only worried, you're only measuring yourself against opposition. Uh, whereas a builder, you're measuring yourself against an, an ideal, you know, or, or a, a standard. And the only reason you won't get there is if you don't put in the work, you know? I do. I do. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. I can tell just by the tone of your voice and, and the way you, you just answered that question that you have um, an enormous amount of pride in this in this new endeavor that, that you're taking on, which is great because, you know, from what you read about you growing up and, and, and reading your books and what people said about you, it, it to all of a sudden turn the focus and, and want to do something like that and grow inside and help other people, it, it's not the normal path for what I know about you 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, I haven't been writing for 20 years, but 20 years ago, let me think well, of the story. 20? Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I got you. No, it's like 10 years, but yeah, but I, it's same. Um, no, you're exactly right. It's not. Um, it's one of those things though, that, um, I feel like in a lot of ways, my story is you see it a lot. You see someone kind of get a lot of early success and they, they get really douchey because they think it's about them. And then they kind of have to have a failure to learn it's not about them. And then how they react to that failure is who they become, right? Like a great example, I don't know if you guys follow sports, but Johnny Manziel is that dude right now, you know? Yeah, he's, he's, but he's at the bottom now. So now how he responds, because the dude is, is a sick athlete. And if he decides he's going to be a great NFL quarterback, he will be. But he's got to decide that that comes first. And, and, and that means it's not about him. It's about putting in the work and, and, and operating within that system. If he doesn't, then he's just going to become a has-been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just kind of like what he wants to do. And I kind of went through my version of that. Um, and I came out the other side. And it was a lot of painful work, dude. It was not easy to realize that, like, you're not as good as you think and it's not about you and whatever. But once you kind of do, it actually frees you up. To, yeah. to actually do good stuff. That makes sense. And there's there's also a limited window for that turnaround to occur. Otherwise, you will you will struggle um, as you get older, especially with, your, you commented on Johnny Manziel, his window to turn that around is much shorter than someone that's going into the business world. Right, of course, yeah. Because as an athlete, you only have a few years. Yeah, of course. Yeah, when you have like, you know, everything, when you have an opportunity that, 
to be successful and, and, and you sort of find yourself like down at the bottom, you know, a lot of times it's uh, relationships that sort of help you out of that. At least that's kind of how I see it. Um, did you start to build a team or anything or, you know, like uh, what's that? What's the, the I guess like a, a, not a focus group. What were what like a tribe? Yeah, you know what I mean? A tri- like, yeah, a tribe. Yeah, it can be friends, it can be family, anybody. it can be anybody. Like, you know, like I'm down right now. Who who are the people that matter most as I'm going to kind of try to climb out of here? Were you did you find yourself doing that once you sort of turned the corner on on, on what your focus was? Um it's funny you bring that up. Uh, Cuz I one of the things I think I learned about 4 or 5 years ago was that the only thing that actually mattered were the relationships we had with the people we loved. And then sort of as a subset of that, the work that we do that benefits other people, like those are the only two things that, that we do that, that about life that matter, right? And I think I understood that intellectually, but I didn't really, really, truly get that. And um, because once I really got that, I, I kind of one day I had to sit down and realize I had a lot of people in my life who I don't want to call them bad people. They weren't. They just weren't. They weren't the best people. They weren't the people I should have. And the reason, and anytime, I, people say that a lot. You hear that a lot, right? Oh, I didn't have good people in my life. Well, the next question should be, what were you like? Yeah. You know, because it's not like, there aren't just good people with lots of bad people around them by accident. And the reality was, I was attracting a certain type of person because I was that type of person. Or at the very least, I was attractive to that type of person. And so for me, I had to go through a stage where I really put in a lot of work on myself and I really kind of became person both that I should be and that I thought I was, but I wasn't actually. Um, and, and then once I did that, then, um, I kind of cleaned my life out in a lot of ways and brought in a whole new set of people, um, who were, uh, some of the old people, but for the most part, it's like a whole new set of people who, um, who reflect who I am now. Right. You know, like my wife's a great example. Like if I'd met her three years before I met her, She'd have been like, eh, you're funny, but you're not uh, the right guy for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Dateable. And, <laughs> and exactly. Right. Exactly. And so same thing with my co-founder, my company now. Um, like uh, he, he wouldn't have wanted to work with me uh, four or five years ago. And, uh, but after I kind of made not fundamental changes, but just some behavioral, emotional things, it's like, all right. You're at a good spot. Like good people want to be around good people and bad people want to be around bad people in the most simplistic terms. And I was not uh, the person I should have been years ago. And I had to figure that out and then work on it. That's a great, that's a great comment and a great lesson for a lot of us who, uh, who, who struggle with their identity and, and trying to become something else and, and having a desire to go out and do something but being held back by the crowd they hang out with, just hanging out with the wrong people. Yep. That's absolutely good advice. You know, we're going to get into like current business and what you have going on now, but I was just curious, did you have um, any obstacles or more like a failure on that road to becoming your own entrepreneur? Um, You know, people are probably going to know about the books and they're going to definitely hear about your company that you have going on right now. But did you, when you started building that team, did you try something and maybe it didn't work out? Are you talking about my current company? No, yeah. not yeah. I, we're going to get into that in uh, probably the next couple of minutes. But I was curious, you know, with becoming an entrepreneur, sometimes you, you have oh some yeah, hits yeah, and misses. Uh, what did you get into in terms of entrepreneurship? Uh, you know, that maybe didn't hit. Oh, dude, uh, the the best answer, honestly, and it's usually not something people think of as entrepreneurial, but it very much is. Is the movie that was based on my book 
uh, my first book. Uh, I hope they serve beer in hell. That should have been, by all rights, a massive hit. Like I, we had an amazing script based on a really hot property, uh, built-in fan base, and it wasn't. It ended up doing really poorly, and the main reason is because of me. Uh, and it, it was really hard for me to see it at the time. But now looking back like four or five, actually we're six years, seven years uh, later, I can see that even – so it's exactly what we just talked about. Like I picked a, a total piece of shit director. Um, and, and, and like I can, I, I can say he ruined the movie, right? <laughs> right. But, but here's the thing. I picked him, you know? Yeah. And like – and I picked him for a reason. And, it, and, and so is it his fault that he's a bad director or is it my fault for picking him? Ultimately, it's my fault for picking him. You know, yeah. like I had good directors who wanted to work on this movie and I passed them up for a guy who was the wrong fit. And I'll tell you why I passed him, too, because I was arrogant and I was uh, I was full of hubris. And I thought this guy kind of buttered me up the right way. He appealed to the right parts of my vanity and, and deep down, I thought it didn't matter who I picked as a director because the script was so good and because uh, I could get the director to do what I wanted. And he played to that. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll just be your shot maker and I'll help you do this and I'll help you do that. And, and it's your movie. And like all thing, things that I know now a great director would never say, he said them all. And I was too inexperienced uh, and too arrogant to, to listen. Even to the people around me were telling me that. So you know? after so realizing that, or when you realized that, how did that change you moving forward? What did you do? How did you get to the point from there to realize what the problem was? Was it was it meeting your wife? Was it just no, <laughs> no, 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 no? I, uh, no, I, I had to fix that first before she would even really uh, talk to me. Um, <laughs> no, dude, it, it was like uh, the well. First off, the movie had to fail because if the movie had succeeded, then. I would have thought that I was a genius. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times I, we could probably name a bunch of people if we tried to. People who basically got lucky, but they think their success is because of them, and now you can't tell them anything. Right. You know, right. I, I would have been like that, and uh, so it was. I'm never going to tell you I was happy that the movie failed, but it was the best thing that could have happened to me if I was actually going to get my uh, my life together. So after that, I had to kind of examine what happened and. Uh, I, I made up a lot of excuses for a lot of years, and they weren't excuses. They were right. The director was terrible. The director ruined the movie. But then one day when I finally kind of had the courage, I was like, well, who hired him, dumbass? Yeah. <laughs> right. And like you said, it was you. And then all of a sudden you go, it was me. So why did I hire him? Why did, and you already just told us, you know, he was appealing to your vanity. He was, you know, giving you a, a, a false sense of confidence that this thing was going to be amazing. I'm sure he. I'm sure he did a competent job based on his own skill set. But obviously, it sounds like looking back, if you would have picked a different director, maybe that movie would have, uh, you know, been a hit. Well, uh, I, see, here's the problem: is that, I, that even if I picked a good director, I was still there. So yeah. I, I did all kind. Of, we haven't even gotten into all the things I did on set that screwed up the movie. A good director would have fired me off of the movie, off of my own movie. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Because I was a total disaster at that point. I had so much of my identity wrapped up in that movie that I couldn't look at it as something independent of me. And that's just a guarantee that you're going to make bad decisions. And, and I did over and over. I'm yeah. loving these stories because, honestly, Tucker, they're taking you from, from when you had this best, best-selling book, book after book. You had a movie made. 
And I think it's okay if you're cool with this too. Let's uh, let's move ahead to kind of current business. And, uh, you know, in between the time when you had uh, a failing movie to a successful business, was there anything you started doing to kind of turn it all around for yourself? Uh, yeah, so um, uh, most of it was working on myself, man. I got therapy. Uh, I spent four years in psychoanalysis. I... Um, I, uh, you know, like, um, I started, uh, really getting into meditation. I started like, I, I, di- I did a lot of work on myself, um, to really understanding my emotional issues and understanding where my problems were coming from and, and, um, facing really hard truths that I didn't want to face before, but I kind of had to. That's cool. Cause a lot yeah. of people that, that are in that situation will, won't take those steps and definitely won't embrace it and, and, and discuss it. So, Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, you have some a, a current project going on right now that I think a lot of people are, are going to be interested to hear about. I was explaining it to a few people in my life, and they, they thought it was the coolest idea. So if you want to kind of move on to the uh, origin story of Book in a Box, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, like to how it started? Yeah, because yeah. you know yeah. what? It's like this startup world, people just hear all these like kind of mythical tales of how it's going, and for you, it sounded like a lot of hard work and basically a chance meeting. So, yeah, yeah that's exactly what it was. Um, so it's it's kind of funny. I, I thought I had done all this work and I kind of had, and then uh, this startup weirdly started because I hadn't done as much as I thought. So I was at this entrepreneur dinner, and this woman comes up to me and she says, "Hey, you're the guy who wrote a bunch of books and knows publishing. Um, can you help me?" I was like, yeah, sure. And she's like, look, I, I have people have been asking me for a decade to write a book, and because she's like an expert in this uh, niche field, pop up retail. And she's like, I, I just I don't have the time, you know, I, and I don't like writing, and I don't understand book publishing. Can you, is there some way I can get this book out of my head without having to go through this the normal process? And I, I kind of looked at her, and I, I got a little snobby for a second, right? And I was like are you asking me how to write a book without writing it? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I kind of am. And so then I went full writer elitist uh, snobbery. And I, and I started lecturing this woman who's built this huge, amazing company and all these things in her life. I started lecturing her about hard work and about like understanding like the process and all this nonsense. Right. And so she, st- she rolls her eyes at me and she goes, Tucker, this is an entrepreneur dinner. Are you an entrepreneur? Are you supposed to be here? And I was like, yeah, of course I'm an entrepreneur. She's like, well, I'm not so sure that's true because I am an entrepreneur and I spend all day helping people solve their problems. Are you going to help me solve my problem or just lecture me about hard work? Wow. <laughs> like, I know, I know, right? She threw down the gauntlet. Yeah. She did. She did. And she was right. She's 100% right. And so I, I, like, I became, of course, obsessed with this idea. For weeks, I, 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 I hammered myself. How do I get a book out of her head without her having to touch a keyboard? And I honestly didn't think it was possible. I just I kept coming back to the same idea that that you you, you can't write without writing. And then he, here's how it happened. Actually, I was it's so cliche, right? I was in the shower, <laughs> and and I'd had a conversation with someone that day about Keanu Reeves. And, and she had joked that Keanu Reeves' career peaked in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure <laughs> when, he, when he had 
the conversation, the philosophical deba debate with Socrates, right? Where they didn't speak each other's language right. and they were just miming. Socrates. And, and I, was, I was laughing about that, right? Socrates, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I was laughing about that and then it hit me like a ton of bricks. Socrates is considered the greatest philosopher in Western history and the man never wrote a word down. Absolutely. Never wrote anything down. Plato did. And then you start thinking about it. Jesus didn't write anything down. Buddha didn't. Malcolm X, Winston Churchill. You go down the list. Most of the great minds had someone else, someone called a scribe, write their stuff down. And I was like, oh, my God, why couldn't I create a process that essentially reinvented a scribe? Right? Like, like somehow in the 20th century, writer became synonymous with thinker. But those two things are totally different, writing and thinking. So I, I kind of cobbled together this process where I, I couldn't just like talk to her. I had to structure her ideas and then uh, outline them and then interview her to get them out of her head. But I, I, we spent about 15 hours on the phone with her, uh, Melissa, over about – the woman that called me out – over about five, six months – and we ended up putting it into a book, and it worked really well. I almost couldn't believe how well it worked. And um, so I thought, okay, this is cool. I solved this problem. And then I went on a podcast, and I talked about this just for 15 minutes. It was an hour podcast. We we're talking about something totally different. And it was Lewis House's podcast, The School of Greatness, which is like a okay. pretty big podcast, yeah, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so the next day, I get an email. Hey, where's this book in a box thing? How do I uh, sign up? And I was like, I knew the podcast wasn't out. So I was like, how the hell, did, what is going on? I'm like, how do you even know about this? Yeah. And he's like, oh, sorry, dude. I'm Lewis's podcast producer. Uh, I thought you knew, um, uh, but I want to sign up for this. And I was like, I told Zach, the guy who helped me with this, who's my co-founder. I'm like, dude, we need to put up a landing page. Because this, like when the podcast producer is trying to sign up for a business that doesn't exist, that <laughs> might be uh, like a, a big deal. So we put up a landing page. Um, for book, we just called it book in a box. Cause I had no other, like, uh, we had no other name for it. And, uh, we ended up doing $200,000 in two months. Wow. And I was like, dude, this is for something that we weren't really even selling. And, and I, I was like, it, yeah. right. That that's the definition of product market fit is when, when, when people are trying to buy something that you aren't even trying to sell. then that means what you've done is you've learned how to solve you. So it's really stumbled upon solving a problem right and then from there it was like we kind of created a process and blah blah blah. And now here we are you know that's yeah. amazing because anyone's problems anytime you meet somebody that has a problem chances are there's a lot of other people that have that same problem and it sounds like you, you exactly did you stumbled into something that a lot of people want to write books i want to write a book i can't write <laughs> well you can write but no, i mean I can. have you seen me well you i know you can write but can barely read you know we i have a cousin who wrote a book and he sent it to me and i read it and i realized that he probably spent about three years getting that book finally published he had to write it he had to edit it he had to try to get a publisher and i went back on his twitter timeline and kind of looked at exactly everything it was going through, reaching out to people, you know, highs, lows. And it can be a very discouraging process just to get the book complete, printed, to hold it in your hand. It sounds like you're helping people out with that in a much more efficient manner. Yeah, I mean, because here's the thing. It doesn't make sense. It, most people are writing about a topic. If you're, if you're writing literary fiction, then, you know, uh, you can't work with us. Uh, like... 
But if you're if you're a professional or an entrepreneur or a coach or a consultant or CEO or just any anyone who knows something, right? Um, it doesn't make sense that you need to learn how to be a writer in order to get your knowledge and wisdom in a book. It, no one's when your car breaks down, no one says, "Well, you have to go be a mechanic." That doesn't make sense. No. You know when, when your when your sink breaks, you don't say, you don't try and go learn plumbing. You call a plumber. And uh, for thousands of years, we understood as a culture that scribes was a different job than a thinker. Philosophers and writers were different jobs. It's just recently that somehow people think those two go together. So what your cousin was suffering through is figuring out how to learn a skill that had nothing to do with what he was trying to do uh, and and is unrelated. So, yeah, like like we – we figured out a way to help people who have knowledge and wisdom share to share with the world, get it into a book so they can share it much easier. You know, and then plus get the benefits that they get from the book. Like Melissa has done uh, a couple million dollars in business um, with her con- consulting company because once she wrote the book, it didn't give. A, I mean, it gave away her best secrets, but what that did is just show everyone that she's brilliant and a genius. Yeah, she's the expert. And so, like. Exactly. So people, all the people that can afford her went and hired her. That's fabulous. Now, let me ask you this, because um, the one girl that you're working with, she has this knowledge in her head, and you helped her get it out. Has anybody kind of pushed back at you saying, oh, that's not a, that's not a book, that's not a real book, or they're not real authors? Like, how would you respond to that? Is Socrates a real author? No, <laughs> seriously. I mean, it, it, that's literally the... Is Jesus a real author? Is Buddha a real author? Is Winston Churchill a real author? So why is it different? It's the exact same process. Yeah. It's, it, what's, what's important about a book is the knowledge and wisdom and the ideas in there. Now, now look, you, people can write a book that are, that's stupid. It has dumb ideas, right? And it, it, just because you sit down and type out uh, dumb ideas doesn't make the ideas good. And just because you speak ideas out loud doesn't make them bad. If that was true, why would we have podcasts? I know I'm I'm with you 100. percent Just the logistics of figuring out how to be a creator, really of anything of art, is uh, is hard, is hard enough. But it's the delivery sometimes that can really kind of hold you up. You know, for us, for example, you know, doing this show face to face, for us it's a little bit more fun. But you know. Yeah, by using technology, yeah, we can we can have some drinks and sit down with somebody and do an interview. But what I'm getting at is the delivery of the content, that that finish that final published part of it can sometimes just kill somebody. They can have a great mm-hmm. idea, but they can't get it out and spread it to everybody. So you found a way to do that through a book. Um, yeah. Let me ask you, just walk me through it. If I come to you with an amazing idea, I've got the money to pay whatever you guys are charging, um, how long would it take and what would it look like for me to get my idea out there in somebody's hands? It, so uh, if you come to us as a client, um, well, first off, we have to vet you as a client because our process doesn't work if you don't know what you're talking about. Like, Because we don't add content. It's not ghostwriting, right? I'm out. Uh, but but <laughs> but uh, um, uh, once most most smart people who come to us uh, have they they have more than one book in them actually. So it costs twenty thousand dollars and it takes five to six months uh, total time. Okay. And it's it's a how many people you 15, got over there doing this? Uh, we have fourteen full time and about a hundred freelancers. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Um, where, where, what's the plan for it? Where do you see it growing? Is it just going to continue to grow? Or are you going to try to do something a little different in the future with yourself? Are you going to kind of step out well, of I that mean, and move on personally and do something different? I, I think, um, to me, I think books is the first step, man. I think that um, if you think about it, there, for any creative product, there's a series of steps that you have to go through to get it done. And uh, books are no different than songs or movie scripts or speeches or, or um, anything like that. And um, once we, we've got it pretty nailed with books, once we get this really scaled, I think we're going to start trying to figure out how to do it with other mediums. You know, So there's no reason that, that someone who's trying to give a speech uh, needs to learn how to be a great speechwriter. Like if they have the ideas, um, there's a process to, to create a great speech. So why not have them just call us and we walk them through it and we create the speech. It's their ideas and their speech, yeah. but we do it with, you know what I'm saying? So they don't have to learn how to give a great speech. They just have to know what they want to say, you know, and, and there's 50 other things that that could potentially work with. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see where things are headed for you. And I just kind of reflecting on our whole conversation here. It's, you definitely went from a place where maybe for you, you, you were the, the center of attention. It was all about you. And now you literally are helping hundreds of people get their idea out of their head and into somebody else's hands to, yep. to help. I mean, it's, it's such an amazing transformation. So it's pretty awesome. You know, if, if you find somebody pretty successful or maybe somebody that's kind of in transition, maybe like you were maybe five, ten years ago, I don't know, um, any advice to kind of help them change from being somebody that's a little bit self-centered to maybe where you're at now, helping other people? Oh, man. Uh, I put in four years of work, um, like going four times a week, psychoanalysis. Okay. And, um, uh, like, that's – well. So here, here's – that's such a good question. It's hard to answer though. Oh, well, the, the, the first part of the answer is if you don't actually want to become that way, you won't. So you've got to really make the decision you want to be that way. Then you have to put in the work. And because if you're not that way, there's probably an underlying reason. There's, there's some emotional issue or set of emotional issues you have. So you've got to figure out what they are and you've got to work to get past them. And that's almost impossible to do alone. Um, uh, usually you need multiple different sort of uh, uh, attacks at the angle, you know. Um, great relationships in your life, uh, talk therapy, meditation, yoga. There's so many different things to do um, that you can, you can do. But um, it doesn't have to be. Uh, but you just can't do it alone, you know. Yeah. Well, how hard was it to say goodbye, you know, to your old self? It was extremely hard, dude. It was um, because here's the unconscious works like it's it, have you ever known a, a girl, for example, that, that had a really shitty, abusive boyfriend, but she wouldn't leave? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. OK. Yeah, so absolutely. because that, that, that's just one example, but it's an easy example. The reason that is, is because the way the human brain works, the unconscious works, is that we will take. Uh, uh, sh uh, uh, the shitty thing that we know over the uncertain thing that we don't know, even if the uncertain thing is better, right? And so the, the girlfriend who stays with the abusive boyfriend is an example of that, right? Uh, and it's very simplified, but the point is uh, people are the same way. I, I knew 
that being uh, an arrogant asshole wasn't working for me anymore, but it was really hard to change because deep down, it's not that I was afraid to change. It's like, I just, I think, uh, unconsciously assumed that, that that's where all my success came from. And that's, if I change, I lose who I am and I don't know who I am anymore and all those sorts of fears that come up, right? And so uh, it takes a lot of work, man. You got to get up. It's sort of like going to the gym. It's like... Um, you know, there's no one session or one lift that changes your life. But if you get up and go every day, uh, you know, three days a week for uh, 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 all of a sudden in three months, you look great and are good. And in six months, you look great. In a year, you're looking amazing. And uh, but but it's hard to tell exactly what thing it is that did it. It's no different than getting over emotional issues. You've got to every day put in that work and slowly but surely you kind of move past it. I don't know if I'm answering your question well or not. I think you did a great job yeah, answering it. And that. I think the uh, the gym example, I think a lot of people are going to take to heart. You know, those transformations, the physical ones, they, they never happen overnight and everybody accepts that. I got to keep going three days a week, like you said, and it might not even look that good after three months, but in a year, maybe I'm a new person. And like you said, it, it's, it works the same way with the mental and emotional stuff. So I think, you know, that story and your, your answer to that question are going to be pretty inspirational uh, to a lot of people out there. And hearing it from you, I think, is going to be something that's very refreshing for people. Cool. Good. I'm, I mean, if I can help anyone, that's fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. So can you, uh, are you allowed back at the restaurant? <laughs> uh, my dad's restaurant yeah of okay, course yeah. I, I can go eat no problem i just can't work you just there. can't work there oh, still oh, well, that's yeah. maybe that's the next thing you could fill out an application and see if he lets you back in oh but, yeah. Yeah, right <laughs> well tucker if we could uh have you plug your social media your new business uh you know for anybody out there that's interested in following you and checking out what you're doing yeah no just a uh, book in a box man book in a box.com if you're interested are we and we, uh, our process is really cool. If you, 20 grand is not cheap. So if you can't afford us, we have a book on Amazon that's like $5.99 or something that literally runs through our exact process with the full templates that our freelancers use and everything. So you don't have to afford us to use the process. That's yeah, awesome. So, yeah. So if you guys are interested, you know, check out Tucker online, check out the book. And man, this has just been incredible. I really appreciate you doing the interview. Yeah, thanks thanks, for thanks so much, on. Tucker. Of course, but you should have seen how hard it was for just to figure out what time it was here when it was three o'clock there. It was a night, it was a nightmare. Central time. Oh. What time is it in Vegas? Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, well, Tucker, thanks for doing the interview, guys. This has been another amazing episode of Guys Telling Stories. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. All right, Bill Tucker Max. That was good. Yeah, what crazy stories, man. That is a uh, that's a good way to open the season. Yeah, you know, he is he's our season premiere, as you guys know, and we were happy to have him on. And I think the whole, you know, Skype interview, long distance thing worked out. What do you yep. think? I think he's calling back, though. No. <laughs> That's no. not him, no. Oh, and one more thing, and this is kind of exciting. I'm glad you stuck around to the end because we have a new feature we're going to call... Um, Drum roll. Are we ready? Yeah. Guys Telling Stories Short Story Special. I'm not saying it. So if you head to our website, guystellingstories.com, and click on the support link, it takes you to the Patreon page. Patreon is a website, kind of like crowdfunding meets social media. And what we've done there is we have posted a Tucker Max short story special That's there. funny. Yeah, it's the story behind how he got fired from being a lawyer. And he wasn't even a lawyer yet. He was, you know, finishing. He's kind of a lawyer. Yeah, he was working on law school. Yeah. So it's a great story. It it's a funny. short story. It was good. And it's available to all the people that support the show. So you can head to guystownstories.com, click on the support link, and it takes you to the Patreon page. If you want more Tucker Max, head to our website and click on the support link. 
Unless you're Tucker Max, then you can just call us. <laughs> yeah, we'll send it to you, Tucker. No problem. Not on Skype. All right, Bill. As always, it's another fantastic episode of Guys Telling Stories. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. All right. Talk to you next time. <laughs>